our series um, in, in the book of Philippians that we've titled The Epistle of Joy. We've taken three small, short weeks away from, from Mark, and when Pastor Wes is back from vacation, we'll be back there. But for this weekend, next week, we're going to be in the book of Philippians and the Epistle of Joy. And we've titled this series The Epistle of Joy because, as Alex mentioned last week, we see that word or, or some form of that word joy appear 16 times throughout these four chapters. This book of Philippians is on the shorter end of some of what Paul has written. But even in just four chapters, we see him mention this word joy 16 times. And so we've decided to title this the epistle of joy because throughout here, Paul is giving the church reasons to remain joyful, to have true joy. And we'll see in today that despite the circumstances that Paul may be going through, He's telling them we must have joy, that even in the midst of prison, even in the midst of difficult situations, Paul says, I will rejoice because the gospel is being proclaimed. The gospel is moving forward. And so with that, the main idea for today that I want us to understand is that true joy that we see that Paul displays here comes from trusting in the providence of God and knowing that nothing will stop the gospel from advancing. True joy comes from trusting in the providence of God, knowing that God will do what he needs to do. And knowing that nothing, no matter what we say, no matter what we do, will stop the gospel from advancing. And so we're going to be in the book of Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. If you have your Bibles, if you don't have one, there's some in the seat in front of you. Those are our gift to you if you need a Bible, if you want to take it home, you're more than welcome to do so. In the Pew Bibles, we're going to be on page 980. But follow me as we read the word of God. I want, to, want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it became known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I will rejoice. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful day, Father. We thank you for the opportunity to gather as a church body, to sing songs of praise to you, to worship you, to think about how great and vast and how wonderful your mercy and grace for in our lives is, Father. Lord, we ask that as we spend the next several moments in your word, gleaning from it, learning from it, Lord, that you use this time to instruct us, that you use this time to teach us, to show us where we're falling short, Lord, to show us where we don't, are not seeking you and we don't have joy, Father. Lord, be with us as we take this time, Lord. We ask that you eliminate any distractions, Lord. And as we take time, use this time to chisel and shape your body, shape your church, Father. Pray with everyone who's not here, Lord, we pray for Pastor Wes, and as he is taking this last day of vacation, be with him and his family, Lord. Be with us today, Lord. Help us to gather. Help us to remember. Help us to learn, Lord. 
Use me to bring forth your word, Father. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be edifying to you and to your church, Father. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. People said, amen. Point number one, the gospel cannot be stopped. It advances despite difficult situations. It's simple. The gospel cannot be stopped. See, in verse 12, Paul writes, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Paul being in prison, Paul being locked up, did not stop the gospel from going forward. It was still advancing. So that means also your difficult situations, whether life is the way you want it to be, whether you're getting things your way, that does not stop the gospel from progressing. Whether you think it does, whether you not feel comfortable today to share it, but that does not stop the gospel from going forward. Paul says, I want you to know. We've seen this type of phrasing from Paul before in his other letters. Usually he uses this type of phrasing when he really wants to get the audience's attention, when he really wants them to not misunderstand or not miss the point he is trying to make. It's very similar today when we get our people's attention. We want them who's like, I need you to understand. I know with my sons, I'm like, Calm down, listen to my words, because I want you to understand me very clearly. That's kind of what Paul's saying here, because he understands that what he's about to say, some people, is going to be hard to accept that truth, that God is moving despite you, despite your circumstances, that God will use even the most difficult trying times in your life to further his gospel. And some can't begin to fathom that, so he wants to make sure that he has their attentions. And he says, I want you to know that everything that has happened to me or my circumstances, anything that his current circumstance, which is being in prison or everything that he has gone through. We understand when we look at the life of Paul, that he had a very trying life, that he had a very difficult life. We saw last week, Alex showed with us that Paul, when he was in Philippi, he was arrested there for sharing the gospel and disrupting their economy. Here now, as he's writing this book, he is in prison and we'll know that he will be in prison one more time in his life. Paul saying that all of that, everything that has ever happened to me has happened to further the gospel. We see that Paul in 2 Corinthians 11 talks about the things that has happened to him. He says in verses 24 to 25, Paul says, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I was adrift at sea. That's the type of life that Paul has gone through. And he says, despite all of that, I can rejoice because I understand that the gospel has gone forward. That no matter how many times I was beaten, no matter how many times I was suffering, it all has served for the advancement of the gospel. It has turned out, as the NASB says, for the greater purpose of the gospel. Paul is letting them know that the unexpected has happened as of the result of his imprisonment. People may think that, well, now Paul's in prison, then his ministry is going to stop. He's not going to want to share the gospel no more. He's locked up, and he's saying, as a result of this now, the gospel has gone forward. He's like, don't worry about me. Don't be concerned because I am locked up. But look at what God is doing through his providence. 
that God in his sovereignty, that God in his infinite wisdom is using this time, using me to be in prison to advance the kingdom. Paul is not concerned with what's happening to him, but rather he's rejoicing because the gospel has progressed. He has not lost sight of what is the most important thing in life. Paul isn't making light of being in prison. He's not saying this isn't a big deal. He's not boasting in that, but Paul has joy in spite of what's happening, in spite of being in prison, in spite of his sufferings. He still has joy because he understands that God is always at work. And that is enough for Paul to just have joy. Paul here is making a very conscious choice to make the gospel the utmost priority in his life. And because of that decision, because of that mindset, it allows Paul to remain focused and to not let anything hinder his ministry. He says, yes, even while in prison, I am going to praise God. Even while I'm in prison, I am going to rejoice and be full of joy and be glad because I know that God is at work. How is God working? Paul gives us two ways here in Philippians in this section of Scripture. The first being in verse 13 where we see that non-believers are hearing the gospel, Paul writes, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Paul saying that the guards who are watching over him, those who are their task, their, their assignment is to make sure that Paul stays where he's supposed to stay, to make sure that he is there. They are hearing the gospel. Because Paul is letting them know that that's why he is there. These imperial guards that we see here in verse 13, these weren't your regular soldiers. They weren't your regular guards, if you will. They were handpicked by Caesar himself. Their purpose was to be strategically placed throughout the city to keep peace. Some of them were assigned to guard and protect the emperor. And in this case, they are entrusted with keeping eye, keeping watch over Paul. And because of that assignment, we know that they are being exposed to the gospel each and every time they have to come in. And they are chained to him. We see in Acts 28, 20, Paul says, I am wearing this chain for the sake and hope of Israel. In Ephesians 6, 20, he says, Paul calls himself an ambassador in chains. So he's, he's chained up to these guards. He's on one end and the guards are on the other end and he doesn't ever get his chains loosened. But when they switched, the new guard comes in and the old guard takes his chains off. So they are literally chained to Paul. And because of this, he's sharing the gospel with them. Instead of being upset, instead of being lowly and discouraged, Paul rather lets them know why he's there. He, they all get to know who the real Paul is. They understand now that Paul is there under false accusations. They are being, they're talking to Paul. They're seeing who Paul is. They understand that Paul is there because he's fully aware of the risk that he what had, was going to when he went before Caesar. He understood that he was going to probably end up in prison. Paul understood that when he does preach the gospel, he's probably going to suffer. People are going to hate him. People are going to stone him. They understood that Paul understood the risk and that he was willing, faithfully willing to risk it all for the sake of the gospel. So these guards, they get to know Paul. They see Paul, the one who's full of deep conviction, convictions, the one who is full of grace, who's genuine, who has love, genuine love and concern for others. They're getting to see this Paul. 
And they continue day in and day out to hear the gospel. And I think it's safe to assume that, that some of them became converted. Some of them came to know Christ as their Lord and Savior because it says the advancement of the gospel, the gospel did make progress. So I think it's safe to assume here that some of them were converted. We're not told how many, but we, are, we do see if you go to the end of Philippians in chapter 4, verse 22, as Paul's ending the letter, he says, All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Especially those of Caesar's household, those who are close to Caesar. Doesn't necessarily mean that it's someone in his family, even though that could be the case. But we understand that part of Caesar's household can mean that those who are working with him, it could be soldiers who are assigned to him, it could be slaves who are working for Caesar or freedmen who are working for Caesar. But we're seeing here that someone close to Caesar, a part of his household, he's calling them saints, that they are believers in Christ as well. And that is reason enough for joy, for Paul to look at his circumstances and say, I can rejoice. I can be full of joy because the gospel is moving forward. Is that the mindset that we have in today's world? That the gospel is advancing and so we can rejoice despite what we are going through, despite the difficulties of life. We understand that the gospel is moving forward and that is reason enough to rejoice Another way we see in verse 14 that the gospel is advancing here, Paul says, And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. People are watching Paul. They see Paul, his joy still, and that is giving them hope. That is giving them more bold. People are being emboldened, and that is reason enough for Paul to find joy in the midst of his circumstances, understanding that there are now other believers who are speaking the word, speaking the gospel without fear. So simply by Paul having this attitude, his faith not, not wavering, him remaining joyful and proclaiming the gospel in the midst of his sufferings, in the midst of his trials, that alone gives other believers reason to have hope. It emboldens them. And so Paul says, I rejoice in that, that people are in their faith, are being strengthened, they're being matured because of my circumstance, because I'm the one suffering, I'm the one going through it. People are being emboldened, and that is reason enough to rejoice. Paul never loses hope. Paul never loses joy while in prison. He never loses joy in the midst of his trials. He always stands firm. Sometimes our biggest testimony is just standing firm and not wavering in our faith. doesn't mean that we have to say anything, but just the fact that people know and that when trials come our way, our faith doesn't waver. That can be enough to give someone more hope, to give them courage to speak bold when we remain bold when we remain our faith remains in the midst of trials we can be encouraging others and we should be seeking we should have joy just in that fact paul was able to do all this because he remained kingdom oriented 
He lo- his joy was not determined by his circumstances. Paul wasn't saying, okay, now that I'm in prison, there's no reason to have joy. His joy wasn't determined by the comforts of life, by being able, the freedom of life. His joy was determined by what God is doing in this world. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10, for this, chapter 12, verse 10, for the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, I am strong. Paul here, he's echoing the words. He's like, even though life has been difficult, even though things aren't going what you think they should go, Paul says, whatever you meant for evil against me, God meant it for good. He's echoing Joseph's word in, 50, in Genesis 50, 20. Paul understands that God is always at work. Even when we feel like he's not working in our lives, even when we feel like he may not be working in the life of our church, we have to understand that God is always at work. He's going to use everything that we go through, the good and the bad, for his betterment, for our betterment too. So he, Paul understood this, and so he's able to, in the midst of his trials and suffering, says, I will have joy. Point number two. We see here that the gospel advances despite people with wrong motives. Verses 15 through 18, Paul says, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and that in that I rejoice. People are coming for Paul. They're, these are not just your average non-believers. These are brothers and perhaps sisters in Christ who are seeking, they are thinking, they are trying to be intentional in the way that they attacked Paul. They want to cause him distress. They want to cause, they are looking to afflict Paul. And despite that, Paul says, because they are preaching the true gospel, no matter what they say about me, I will rejoice because the gospel is going forward. We have to understand that these people who are seeking to afflict Paul, they, they are not preaching a false gospel. They're not false teachers. Because we know that if that was the case, Paul would address them. Paul's never shied away from addressing those who preach a different Christ. Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, Paul calls those who preach a different Christ to be accursed. Paul never shies away from rebuking or addressing anyone who preaches a false gospel. But that's not what these brothers are doing. They are proclaiming Christ, as we see in verse 15 and 17. So the problem doesn't lie with their message, it lies with their motives. Paul says, despite that, despite them looking to cause me pain, despite their envy, despite the rivalry that they may see that we have, despite their very own selfish ambition, they, I can rejoice because the gospel is being proclaimed. Christ is bring, being proclaimed. So it doesn't matter who necessarily is the message It's what the message is. These guys were envious of Paul. They perhaps wanted 
their, what the status that Paul had. They were jealous of his ministry. They were, they were jealous of the authority that he had within the church. Maybe they wanted the success that Paul was experiencing, his ability to spread the gospel. So in their eyes, they were full of envy. And like I said, they wanted to cause harm to Paul. But despite that, despite their intentions, Paul says, I will rejoice because Christ is proclaimed. It doesn't matter if it's other brothers or sisters coming at him. He's I will rejoice because Christ is proclaimed. And that is reason enough, as he says, to be full of joy. That's what it means to rejoice there in verse 18. That he is full of joy. He is glad that, that Paul has a genuine joyful attitude about life. Despite being in prison, despite brothers and sisters attacking him, he can have just a joyful outlook on life because Christ is being proclaimed. In other words, whatever they want to say about me, whatever they want to do about me, whether they want to lock me up or they want to put chains on me, however they want to treat me, as long as Christ is, as Christ is proclaimed, I don't care. As long as Christ is proclaimed, I will have joy. I will be glad. They can do whatever they want. In the midst of these attacks, in the, in the midst of being in prison, Paul understood the assignment. He understood that God works in mysterious ways and that God is always at work. Paul says here that, that he was put there or, or appointed, as it says in, AS, in the NASB, for the purpose of defending the gospel. Paul understood that, in, that he had a divine assignment, that his imprisonment was a divine assignment from God to be there for the defense of the gospel, to be there to share the gospel, to proclaim Christ despite what's happening. Paul looks at everything he's gone through, understands that it all has happened as by the providence of God, that God has him there for a specific reason. So for us, don't think that for a minute that God does not have you exactly where he wants you. That God doesn't have you in the job that you're at. That God doesn't have you in the neighborhood that you live in. Perhaps you have friends that you've been trying to get rid of for a couple years now, but they are still in your life because God wants you to use you in their life. Maybe you feel that about family. God has you in the family that you have because you are appointed there for a purpose, for the advancement of of the gospel. We have to keep in mind that God in his infinite wisdom has us exactly where we are supposed to be at this very moment in life. As long as we remain focused, as long as we make the gospel the utmost priority in our life, then in the midst of difficulties, in the midst of trials, in the midst of sufferings, we can remain joyful. But we have to have the right mindset, the right attitude. The fact we have to remind ourselves that the gospel will never cease to advance. The gospel will always move forward. If we keep reminding ourselves of that, we can have joy. Paul writes in Ephesians 1.11 that in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. According to his providence, God works all things. And that 
is reason enough today to remain focused, to just have joy in the midst of trials, in the midst of suffering. When things aren't going our way, God is still at work. And we can rejoice in that. As I close today, I want to first address the non-believer, the person who, who doesn't know Christ. And I want us to understand one thing, that, that Paul wasn't always an advocate of the gospel. That Paul spent much of his early life persecuting Christians. He was actively trying to stop the advancement of the gospel from the gospel spread. He was someone who considered, he considered himself someone who hated Christians. He had them killed. He approved of, of having them killed. Paul was, as he says in 1 Timothy 1.15, the chief of sinners. But in the midst of all that, in the midst of Paul's early life, in the midst of him persecuting Christians, in the midst of him hating Christians, in the midst of him watching them being stoned and killed, God, in the midst of all of Paul's wretchedness, God saves Paul. And we can see that and look at the life of Paul and realize that there is no one, no one beyond saving that God can and that God will save even the most devout sinners, even the most devout Christ haters, even the most wretched people out there. God will save them. So God, when we look at the life of Paul, we see on full display God's magnificent mercy. We see on full display God's magnificent grace. And that no one is beyond saving because of what Christ has done. Not because we're doing anything, but because of the sacrifice, because of the death, because of Christ's blood, and because of him raising up from the dead again. No one is beyond saving. That even the most sincere sinners, the most evil sinners, can be cleansed and renewed. That is why Christ came. He came to this world to save sinners. So how does he do that? He comes into this world as truly God, takes on our nature, lives the life that we do, goes through life the way we do, experiences all of the same tribulation, all of the same trials. He was tempted like us, the Bible says, but God, Jesus never sinned. He lived a perfect life. That neither you and I or anyone has been capable of since and no one will be capable of going forward. He lived that perfect life, following all of God's command perfectly to the T. Then willingly goes to the cross on our behalf. Willingly takes our sins on his shoulders and bears the punishment that is rightfully ours as sinners. We deserve death. We deserve the full wrath of God. But because Christ went to the cross, and in return, he is there, and our sins are put on him. He is killed. He is raised again. And in return, now we receive full pardons for all of our sins. We receive the mercy and grace. And we can have everlasting life because he rose again three days later. And that is available to anyone and everyone 
If you haven't considered those things, if you haven't considered the full weight of your sin, talk to me after service. You can talk to Alex or anyone you saw up here. We would love to talk to you about what it means to put your faith and trust in God. Because if you do that, if you, if you turn from your sins and you put your faith and trust in the works of Christ, you will have peace with God today. You will no longer stand as an enemy before God, but you will stand as a child of God. So if you need to have that conversation, please pull me aside after the service. Our emails, our numbers are in the bulletins. You can reach us anytime during the week. We would love to have that conversation. And for the believers today, understand that, that, that in your walk with God, you have a ministry. That Pastor Wes and myself, we're not the only ones here who have a ministry. That you have family, you're at a job, you got kids maybe, maybe you have friends. That is your ministry. Those people that you live with, those people that you do life with, those that you encounter at the grocery store, those are a part of your ministry. And in ministry, the only thing guaranteed is that at some point we will face resistance that we will be we'll have difficult times where the people that we are seeking to share the gospel with are not going to respond but understand that the that the gospel still advances that it still progresses that word there in, in, in verse 12 when paul says that, that everything that has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel it can also be translated as progress as has progress. He uses it later on in, in verse 25 here. And I mentioned this because the picture here isn't of someone who is simply taking a stroll down a park, in a, path, a path in a park, and is just walking along great with no concerns in life. That's not the picture here. When Paul says that the gospel is advancing, he's saying that it's, it's advancing against obstacles, that the gospel is moving forward against opposition. In other words, this gospel advancing, it's slow. It takes time, but it is making progress. Think of the person who is on the hike in the middle of the woods, and they're on the trail, and all of a sudden they, they, they somehow end up off the trail, and, and they're in the middle of the woods, and there's nothing but brushes, and there's nothing but trees around them. They can't see the trail, and so the only way they can get out then is by grabbing the machete they have, and just chopping away at the brushes, chopping away at the trees. And they're just making progress slowly. It's not like they're chopping away and next thing you know the trail is there. But as they chop away, they make a progress. Slowly but surely, they're making progress. And that's the idea here that Paul says in verse 12. That what has happened is, to me has really served to advance the gospel. That even it may not look like it, but it is advancing. And that's the idea for us, that even in the midst of trials, even when it seems like we're facing resistance from family or from society, the gospel is progressing. It may be slow, it may not be as fast as you want, it may not look the way that you want, but understand that in the face of oppositions, in the face of obstacles, in the midst of your suffering, the gospel does advance. It will move forward. Paul understood this really well. Like I said, he understood that God is always at work. 
And so he understood that. And so as he's going through life, as trials are coming, he understood the cost that he had to pay in order for that. Paul understood that in everything there was a cost. And he was willing to pay that cost to see the kingdom advance. And so how can we get to this point where we see the gospel advancing, where we have joy despite our lives, despite what we're going through. I want to give us a couple of ways to look at this. First, you have to understand that your trials, your sufferings, they are a part of God's plan. God has a purpose for you. That in the, You are going through what you are going through because that is a part of God's plan. God, your life, your trials, your sufferings, they did not catch God by surprise. He didn't just all of a sudden tune back into your life and says, oh man, when did that happen? He's not caught off guard by the things that happen in our life. They are parts of his plan. And so our suffering, the places we're in, God always has a plan for them. So use, view your circumstances, view your experiences in life as ways, as new ways to share the gospel. The fact that you were suffering, now you can relate to someone else who were suffering similarly and say, despite this, I can still have joy because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. View your sufferings as a part of God's plan, as ways to share the gospel. Along the same line, God has you exactly where he wants you. He's not going to use you the way you want to be used. God isn't going to use you the way you determine you want to be used. God is going to use you the way he sees fit. As we saw earlier, Paul, in the midst on the boats that was shipwrecked, that was for a purpose. Being adrift at sea all day with nowhere to go, that was serving a greater purpose. Paul, being in prison, was serving a greater purpose. That's exactly where God wanted to have Paul. So God has placed you exactly where you are. We have to keep that in mind, that God is using us. He has us exactly where we're at. We have to find joy from seeing the gospel progress. We cannot find our joy in the comforts of life. We can't find our joy in having everything that we want. We have to find joy from seeing the gospel move forward. That is what brought Paul joy. The fact that Christ was proclaimed, he can say at the end, and in that I will rejoice. I said earlier that that the gospel was of the utmost important thing to Paul. So then the question is, how important is the gospel to you? How important is the gospel to you? Because if if it's not, then you're not going to have joy when you see it go forward. You're not going to have joy when people come to know Christ. You have to have your joy in the things of God, in the gospel. And if you have that, if if that is the utmost important thing in life, then you can stand there no matter what's happening and have joy and understand that the gospel is advancing. That's how Paul gets there. The last thing is we... As Christians, we have to speak the gospel. 
We have to speak the gospel. Nothing hinders the gospel from progressing. Whether you have the most eloquent speech, whether you remember the most Bible verses, none of that is going to keep you from sharing the gospel. None of that is going to keep you the gospel from progressing. We understand that faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Romans 10, 17. As I was studying, one commentator asked the question. He speculated that perhaps the reason why we as Christians in today's society fail to talk about the gospel to unbelievers is because first we, we fail to talk about the gospel to one another. We fail to have gospel-centered conversations. We fail to share with one another. We, we fail to recognize when good things are happening and share that with other people. If we're not sharing the gospel with one another, if we're not challenging one another, if we're not encouraging one another to share the gospel, we're not reminding one another of the gospel each and every time, then we're going to have difficulties in sharing the gospel with unbelievers. We have to be willing to speak the gospel. And the more often that we talk about it with our friends, the more often that we're reminded of it, that we talk about it with our families, the the more wonderful that we see the gospel, the easier it will be to just share it with unbelievers. Are we having gospel-centered Are we encouraging one another with the gospel? Are we challenging one another with the gospel? If not, then we're not going to be ready when God is calling us to speak the gospel to unbelievers. We have to be willing to do that. And if we stay focused, if we remember that the gospel is the utmost important thing in our life, then when we see it go forward, despite what we're going through in life, we can rejoice. We can be full of joy because we know that God is at work and the gospel is progressing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord, and we thank you, first and foremost, for your mercy and grace in our lives, Father, and understand that we cannot stand here today. We cannot sit here today. We, we can't even ponder the, the truth of your word in the gospel, Father, without first you radically changing our lives, Father that the very faith that we have, the very ability that we have to even comprehend the gospel is a gift from you, Father. Help us, Lord, to become people who, are, who find their joy in the gospel. Help us to become people who are ready, no matter the cost, to stand firm and to proclaim Christ despite what is coming our way, despite the difficulties, despite our feelings and our emotions, Father, help us be ready to proclaim Christ in all things, Father. May we find joy in that, Lord. May the reason that we get up each and every morning, may the reason that we smile be because we understand that the gospel is advancing, that you are moving in the lives of people, Father. Help us to be reminded of that this day. We pray all this in Jesus' name. And as people said, amen.
Brothers and sisters, there is no deeper, more sacred communion with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, than the Lord's table. This is why only those who are his disciples are invited to partake. 